0: And um, we'll look at verses 1 through 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. A couple of statements that we've uh, made as we begin, um, things that we focused on. First of all, we see throughout the Word of God that, that God honors those who honor Him. He honors those who honor Him. Don't confuse God loving you with God honoring you. It's one thing for Him to love you, but it's another thing for you to put him in a place in your life where he can honor you. Amen. And so God honors those who honor him. It is reciprocal, and we've talked a lot about why that's the case. Last week, we said that honor must be leaned into. It must be leaned into. And along that those lines, we said honor is a deliberate and intentional act, and that we honor on purpose. We honor on purpose. And some of this is kind of leading us up to um, another key point about honor: is that honor involves substance, and um, we're going to get back into her uh, miracle story in just a moment. But the the uh, widow that God sent Elijah to in the Old Testament, that Jesus pointed out to the group in in uh, Luke chapter four, um, <clears throat> she honored God by honoring the prophet with her substance now if you remember he asked her he said make me a cake first (laughs) that was pretty bold wasn't it but he he wasn't just being bold because he was hungry he was being bold because this is what God had instructed him to do and what God had instructed her to do and so he's just echoing to her things that she had already received from from the Lord but now think about it she could have said look Elijah uh, you know I've supported your ministry for a long time but time you know it's it's, times are tough right now and um and i'll pray for you but you're not getting my last cake well i'm not trying to diminish the importance of prayer certainly we we are to pray for one another but do you see the difference between i'll pray for you versus i'll make you a cake much less make you a cake first See, the cake involves something of substance honor god with your substance so honor is a deliberate and intentional act, and we honor on purpose, and honor involves something of substance. Now, in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, this is when Jesus, after having uh, been you know, just wildly accepted and, and amazing miracles all over the region, he comes home, or back home, we should say, to Nazareth. It says, "...he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue." And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Again, I point out to you that verse 2 ends with an exclamation point. They're not asking a question. They're making a statement. In other words, the the power of God operating in and through Jesus' life was undeniable. It was undeniable to his enemies. It was undeniable to those who loved him. And it was undeniable to those in his own hometown. But notice where their reasoning took them. Their reasoning took them away from what God wanted to do for them. In other words, they were leaning in the opposite direction. They were leaning away from honor. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. They were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Could I break verse 4 down for you just real quick? Like, What Jesus is saying here is everywhere a a prophet goes, he's honored except for when he comes home. And when he comes home, he's not honored at home. He's dishonored at home. He's dishonored at home. And, of course, Jesus was at home. All right, the Holy Spirit keeps keeps nudging me. So I want to develop this in greater detail in in, the time we have ahead, either today or next week. But... Notice now, they're leaning away. They're, they've recognized that Jesus has performed miracles and mighty works and things of this nature. But because they're leaning away from honor instead of into honor, their thoughts m- made room for offense. They became offended at Jesus. Okay? And one of the things that we need to realize really quick, like, okay, is that offense and honor will not work in the same heart. One is going to push the other out. Are you hearing me? Offense will push honor out, or honor will push offense out. It's, it's like light and dark. Are, are you understand what I'm saying? You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. So you're either going to love one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. And, and honor and offense have that same... Um, uh, polarizing uh, effect upon one another and so if honors over here and offenses over here they weren't leaning this direction in their minds and their thoughts and their reasoning okay they were leaning this direction they weren't looking for a reason to honor jesus they were looking for a reason to be to be skeptical and and to be offended and obviously they found it okay are you with me now what we're ultimately wanting to do is compare this to this this widow that um that god sent elijah to okay uh and if you remember her story we haven't even read it yet but if you're familiar with her story you know that she was about to make her last cake and die she's like listen all i've got is enough meal and oil to make me and my son uh a a little pone of cornbread uh, one cake of cornbread and we're going to eat it and then we're going to die okay but now notice because she was leaning not away from honor but into honor okay Her next cake was not her last cake, okay? Her next cake became the first of a new day of cakes. Do you see that, right? Now, it could have went either way. Do you reckon she had every opportunity to be offended at this? Who in the world do you think you are coming up in here, me and my boy struggling to survive, and you're up in here asking me to make you a cake first? See, she could have been offended. And if she had been offended, it would have pushed any opportunity for honor away from her and would have closed the door. Listen now, I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to show it to you in Mark 6. It would have closed the door on God's ability to help her would have closed the door, not God's willingness to help her, God's ability to help her. You say, I don't, I don't know if I understand that, Pastor Mark. Well, let's keep going here. And Jesus said, verse 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there. It didn't say he wouldn't. It said he couldn't. He was, he was not able to do any mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And as we've pointed out over and over again, this is part of a larger study, the complete answer is unbelief due to a lack of honor. We've seen another place where Jesus asked the religious leaders, he said, how can you believe if you choose the honor of men over the honor that is of God? So notice now, faith won't work in an offended heart. This is why, if you hadn't figured it out by now, this is why the devil offers you and me so many opportunities a day to be offended so many opportunities a day to be offended you become offended at other people's driving skills i have to watch that one now okay you do realize that everybody thinks they're a good driver don't you okay (laughs) and you may think you're a good one and you're not okay amen drive your grandmother around for an hour or two and see if she thinks you're a good driver Because she'll tell you you the truth, right? She'll, no, you're scaring me, son. Right, okay, amen. All right. So, but notice, just getting behind the wheel of a car and driving from here to the foundry in Bessemer, if I'm not careful, I will have two or three opportunities to be offended. That lane doesn't turn left. It goes straight towards 15th Street. What are you doing? About to run me off the road? See, again, the the devil, again, he creates all of these opportunities That's why we see the instructions to not take an offense. It's one thing for you to have an opportunity offered to you to be offended. It's another thing altogether for you to take that offense. You can just refuse it, reject it. But one of the key strategies the devil uses against us is he offers us many opportunities to be offended because faith won't work. In an offended heart. Now, God has to be able to communicate with you to help you, and His ability to communicate with you depends upon the honor you have for Him. We often, we've even looked at, at multiple scriptures where we see that the more we honor God by our effort to know and understand His truth and ways, the more He's able to reveal His truth and ways to us. Okay? But now, what do we do in a situation like what we see here in Mark the sixth chapter? Because if what I'm telling you is true, and it is, this is not just, I'm just, this slide that's in front of you right now, God has to be able to communicate with you to help you, and his ability to communicate with you depends upon the honor you have for him. That is a whole bunch of different verses, you know, that support that. That's not just some cute little saying that I came up with, okay? All of that is supported 100% by multiple scriptures. So what do you do in a situation like Mark, the sixth chapter, where the people's lack of honor for Jesus prevented him from res- Prevented them from receiving correction from him, but aren't you glad he kept trying? This is really, really important right here. He didn't just say, "Oh, well, you're not going to listen to me. Well, you forget you. I'll go." No, that's not his attitude, right? What What was his attitude? He marvelled because of their unbelief. Verse six. Then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. You see, their lack of honor for him prevented Jesus from being able to reveal to them where they were missing it and where they were missing out. So he kept trying. Aren't you glad Jesus keeps trying to reach us despite our blindly ignoring him? Aren't you glad that he didn't quit trying to reach you after you rejected him two or three times? Aren't you glad that after he knocked on your heart's door seven times and you still hadn't answered, he knocked an eighth time? See, this is the love of God that motivates him to seek and to save that which was lost. And so these people were very rude to Jesus. These people publicly and harshly rejected him. They they were offended at him and tried their best to get him to be offended at them, right? Right? I mean, if if you're a kid on the playground, and I, I guess this is true with the ladies, but I think you guys will agree with me, right? Start start saying something about my mom or my daddy, and them fighting words, right? Is this not Mary's son? Just in other words, that was a that was a jab. They done they done got way personal now, right? And there's what are they saying? We're not even sure if Joseph's your daddy. Physician, heal yourself you coming up in here to help us, and you're the one that needs the help. Notice now, they're trying to get Jesus to be offended at them, right? And this is the devil, because the devil knows if he can get Jesus to be offended at them, Jesus is going to go on and just let them die and go to hell. Well, aren't you glad that's not how our Heavenly Father works? His love motivates Him to pursue us, even when we turn from Him, even when we run from Him. What did Jesus do when treated so poorly and disrespectfully by those in His hometown? He doubled His efforts and went from village to village teaching the people, and this despite their harsh and public rejection of him. Can I tell you another strategy that I believe here is in, is, was involved that Jesus under, understands? How many of you know um, God understands psychology? So we think psychology is, is, a, is a worldly thing. Psychology is just the study of, of, of the mind and how the mind and thinking affects human behavior. And there's, there's a certain thing called a mob mentality. Are you, are you familiar with that? There was where people get caught up in what everybody else is saying and doing and everybody else is acting, and they just go along with the crowd, right? You know, it, you know nine out of ten uh, people who reject Jesus can't be wrong, so I'll reject him too. So he got out of the synagogue and went from village to village in smaller groups of people in hopes that he could reason with them, in hopes that he could. And I, I've got two or three different directions I could go this morning. There's one that I really feel like I need to go, okay? But... With just, I, don't, I don't mean to bait you with this, but, but if you look at it very carefully, we see this in Romans 10, where one of the strategies, and, and listen, praise God, I can't believe I'm saying this without developing it further, but let me just say this, okay, one of the strategies we see in the Old Testament, and then it was quoted again in the New Testament, is, is, the, is that God would use a strategy to provoke people to jealousy. To provoke them to jealousy and that's that's the exact strategy jesus uses and we see it in luke the fourth chapter what do you mean provoke them to jealousy It, it we think of jealousy as being a bad thing as a negative thing and certainly it is but but literally what he's talking about is stirring up some passion and motivation within them and 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 one of the ways is you know for other people you know we don't like to be left out of things have you figured that out by now anybody in here enjoy being left out of something good Absolutely not, right? And so this is why Jesus uses the approach that he uses in uh, Luke 4. So turn with me now to Luke 4. Praise the name of the living God. Luke, the fourth chapter. And this is Luke's account of this, and we're not going to read the whole thing. But um, we see that, that once Jesus was rejected, he didn't wash his hands of these people, but he went for smaller groups of people. To try to reason with them, but also to try to provoke them to looking at things a little bit differently. And, and so the question then would be, you know, what exactly then did Jesus teach them? You know, if Jesus is going to try to change this by going from village to village and teach, well, obviously he's got to address the problem. And the problem is unbelief due to a lack of honor. Right? And so it only makes sense to me, and I believe... By, revealed to me by the Holy Spirit is, is that Jesus went from village to village teaching on faith and honor and, and, the, and the relationship that these two have with one, uh, with one another. Okay? Uh, and I believe Luke's account of these events gives us that insight. So let's look at it here. Verse 23, He said to them, this is after they rejected Him, He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly I say to you no prophet is accepted in his own country. And accepted here means uh, to be properly valued, properly recognized or respected. Verse 25. But I tell you truly many but I tell you truly many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up 3 years and 6 months, 6 months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, if you're not keeping score at home, he's saying that all these widows in Israel, Jewish widows, starved to death during the famine. And to none of them was Elijah sent except to a non-Jewish widow. Do you see the provoke to jealousy strategy here? Well, hold on a second. You know, God's doing something for them. All right. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian, again a non-Jewish person. So I believe that when Jesus went from village to village, he taught from these two Old Testament, of course to them it would have been the only Bible they had to read, right? He, he taught from these uh, Old Testament historical accounts of the widow that Uh, Elijah was sent to and to Naaman the Syrian who was a leper and he went to Elisha and received healing. Now I want to make sure that because it's very easy for us to read things in the Bible and never connect it to our own individual lives. And the reason Jesus is doing this and teaching these things you know, originally, initially, is because of a problem that people had in his day. And I wish I could tell you that no one has that problem today, but that is grossly inaccurate. In other words, lots of people still have these same issues with Jesus today. They're not really exactly sure who he is. He's a, he's a good man, maybe a prophet, a great teacher, uh, a, a historical figure. But Jesus didn't say he was a prophet or a historical figure. He said he was the Son of God. That he was the uncreated eternal son of God come to earth in, uh, as a man. All right? And so when Jesus speaks of all the starving widows in Israel during the great famine, what, what is the context? The context is honor and a willingness to value and accept the person God sends to help you. And how honor or lack of it determines whether or not God is able to help you. So the point, I guess, that I, I, I made it last week, I want to make it again before we go any further this week, is that he's basically telling us what honoring God looks like. He's giving us a real-life, real-time example. That's why um, we're calling this a case study in honor. And it was a case study in the sense that here, here is a case of someone who got it right. Let's look at what she did, and and, and let's see what we can learn from it for ourselves so that we can examine whether or not we are properly and effectively honoring God as He uh, should be and deserves to be honored in our own lives. Is that fair enough? Okay. So the, the the next question is, why wasn't Elijah sent to help any of the Israelite widows? Why was he sent to a non-Jewish widow instead? Okay. And, and the answer is simple. It may be hard for you to embrace, but the answer is simple. During that time of hardship and chaos, the only widow God could find to honor his prophet was a widow in Sidon. He couldn't, he couldn't find any other widows who would do it. It wasn't like God only had budget to help one widow. It wasn't like God's like, well, okay, you know, just, I guess Jesus just put all the names in a hat and we'll draw one out and see which one we can help. Because, you know, you know, uh, I know, God knows, I'm God. I, God knows we don't have enough to help them all. No, absolutely not. Now, you say, well, that's, that's kind of a stretch. It, it is a stretch because the devil never wants you to see that. He wants you to just keep thinking that all this is random and it's the mysterious will of God and you never know what God's going to do and we never know why God chose her and didn't choose anybody else. The answer, according to Jesus, is He chose her because of the honor that she had and He didn't choose the others and because He honors those who honor Him. He wanted to help them, but their lack of honor for Him and their lack of trust in Him prevented Him from being able to help them. Now, 1 Kings chapter 17. Praise God. 1 Kings chapter 17. And let's begin at verse 9. Okay? You ready for some practical stuff now? Some good old practical stuff that you can start practicing in your heart and life and family? Amen? So he says in verse 9, arise. So he's talking to Elijah. God's talking to Elijah. He says, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, I've told you before, I'm going to tell you again this morning. Meditate on these things and ask the Holy Spirit to show you things. Amen. And any time that I say something like this, the, the scriptures do not one hundred percent confirm it. Okay, but it's not like God had given uh, Elijah an eight by ten glossy photo of this woman. He just knows there's a woman, there's a widow in Zarephath, right, who needs some help. And so when he asked her first to bring him some water, if she had said, "Get your own water." Well, he would have known that that was not the widow God was sending him to. Amen? So uh, so when she responds favorably to the water, he then asks her about some food. And this is um, what uh, she said. As the Lord God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little... Oil in a jar and see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So at this point, this is the last cake. Okay? And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. Now, do not miss that God's provision came through a door of honor. Honor opened the door for God to provide for this woman. Now, 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 9. I put it up here, a standalone verse. He says, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, let's pull a phrase out of we, we, we pulled a verse out of the story now let's let's pull a phrase out of the verse i have commanded a widow to provide for you he didn't say i've asked are you seeing this he didn't say you know i've i've kind of hinted around you know that you were going to need some help and And maybe if she, you know, had a little extra to send your... No, God speaking. How many of you know God doesn't mince words? He said, I have commanded. That's a strong word. Do you know the literal translation of this is even stronger? Or at least equally as strong? I have ordered her to provide for you. Now, see, this, this comes back to that question that we you know, see implied in Mark 6, Luke 4. Who does God think he is? Commanding this poor, pitiful, broke, almost starving to death widow to provide for Elijah. You see what I'm saying? Listen to the question though. Who does God think he is? God knows who he is. He's He's God. He's God. And he didn't ask her. He ordered her. He commanded her. Think about that for a minute now. He commanded her. Are you, are, you, are you... Man, maybe this right here will show you the honor that this woman had in her heart for God and for the man of God. Because when God commanded her to provide for him... She obviously said yes, or or God would not have sent Elijah to her. Now, where is the honor here? Honor does not turn a command into a request, suggestion, or option to be considered. This is one of the areas, come on now, can we just get real about it, plain about it? This, this is one of the areas where a lack of honor in the body of Christ today, a lack of honor for God in the body of Christ today is revealed. God gives commands, but we don't hear Him as commands, we hear Him as suggestions. We, he, he commands us to live our lives in certain ways, but yet we don't hear command, we hear one way of doing it among many. We think He's requesting Are you following what I'm saying? He's not requesting. He's commanding. He's ordering you to do it. And I offer to you that because He is the source of your next breath, and the electrical impulse inside your body that's a mystery to human science that keeps everything going in your physical body comes directly from him. He has every right to order or to command you and me to do anything he chooses to order or command us to do. And that's strong right there. See, every everything that God, can I just get plain with you? Everything God says in the Bible about sex is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's an order. Oh, sweet Jesus. Now, again, like in Nazareth, there are lots of opportunities for this lady to be offended. But as we've already stated, offense and honor can exist in the same heart at the same time. But now... Think about this right here, though. Doing what God commands is the best thing you can do for Him because it's the best thing you can do for yourself. See, before we get offended at God commanding us, and I'm not trying to be funny here, it's not the Ten Suggestions. It's the Ten Commandments. You say, well, we're we're under grace now, Pastor Mark. Those Commandments... It's never been right for you to lie, white lie, or any other shade of lie. Do I need to go through the list? Amen. It's just in our fallen condition, we didn't have any ability within us to fulfill those commandments and, and, and obey those commandments and live up to them well we're not we're not fallen people anymore we're not mere men and women anymore we're born again men and women that have the spirit of god inside of us and with god's help we we can obey those commandments now we can learn to not lie anymore we don't have to cheat to win anymore Doing what God commands is the best thing you can do for Him because it's the best thing you can do for yourself. I want you to meditate on what I'm saying right there because what I'm, what I'm trying to, to show you is that, that when God commands you or me to do something, it's not because He's trying to get one over on us. It's not because He's trying to take something good away from us. It's not because He's trying to, 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 to play some kind of joke on us. Anytime God commands you to do something, He's commanding you to do it because He's trying to help you. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to promote you. He's trying to bless you. He's trying to prosper you. He only has good in in store for you. Do you think He was trying to cause this woman's demise quicker than it would have come by commanding her to provide for the prophet? When He commanded her, I order you to feed Him. It's like, she you didn't know, like God. Who in the world do you think you are? She said, "Yes, sir." Whenever he gets here, I'll I'll give him what I got. Now, think think of all the excuses, and I've I got a list of them. We probably don't have time for all of them, but think of all think of now. See again, based on what we see in Luke four, this opportunity that she was not offended by. I believe there were lots of widows who were given this same opportunity in Israel first who were offended by it. Here, here, here's one of my favorites. Are you ready? Oh, God, I don't... I don't you're commanding me to provide for him? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that, God. I mean, you know, I've read some of his books and I've bought some of his tapes, but, <laughs> but my denominational friends don't know that I support him financially. ah lord i'm me a widow and a man hanging around all the time what will people think i'm still grieving how about this one i can't even take care of myself and my son much less much less a grown man but see here's the thing watch this god didn't command her to take care of herself he commanded her to take care of the prophet. He didn't say, provide for yourself. He said, you provide for my representative in the earth. Do you see, right? So all, all of these, you know, offense-based excuses, there's no telling how many. But then God commends this non-Jewish woman and she's like, well, I'm mean, not sure how that's going to work, but I'll, I'll do the best I can. So very quickly now, a lack of honor will cause you to be offended by an opportunity you should rejoice over. You see, God was smiling on this widow and opened a door for her to honor him and therefore receive honor from him. I don't know the answer to this question, but I wonder how many of God's people are offended by the tithe. Offended by the tithe. Come up with every kind of reason in the world why the tithe isn't for today. It doesn't apply to us. And again, if we understood the heart and motivation behind God commanding us to tithe and giving us an opportunity to do it, we would not be offended at it. We would rejoice at the opportunity... To be able to give our money to Him and honor Him with our money in a substantial way. We need to understand honor and trusting God from God's perspective. God knows what trusting Him will lead to in your life. And guess what else He knows? He knows what putting your trust in other things besides Him will lead to in your life. I'm not trying to be real harsh this morning, and I'm, amen. But there's some hard things here, right, that we need to deal with. And I'm not saying the Lord said this. Maybe this is just as Paul would sometimes say, I speak to you as a man. But you do realize that God's going to be okay if you or I never put him first and never honor him. We we, we kind of came to this party late. I don't know if you realize that or not. I mean, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're without beginning and without ending. And um, and they created you and me, an eternal community living in absolute communion, created you and me to be a part of their eternal community. Amen. So I don't mean this harsh or anything like that, but just listen to me, please, okay? You gotta under because I'm trying to help you understand like. What in the world was God thinking commanding this poor widow to take care He he was giving her an opportunity to live and not die. He was giving her an opportunity to turn her last cake into the first cake of a new day of cakes. But notice she never do that unless she's willing to honor God by honoring Elijah. God's going to be I'm not saying it won't affect him emotionally. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God won't won't, uh, you know, have sorrow. He's not willing that any should perish. God takes no pleasure in the death even of a wicked man. So I'm not trying to act like, you know, God's just, you know, acting like it never happened. That's not what I mean. But he's going to be here a million years from now whether or not you're with him or not. He sure wants you to be. And he's going to keep on honoring people who honor him, whether you honor Him or I honor Him or not. And if every human being on planet Earth just decided tomorrow we're not ever honoring God again, well, that happened back in the days of Noah with the exception of one family. Now, now, Here here is the part that's, I want to leave you with this and we're going to build on it some next week, okay? But a lack of honor for God assumes dishonor on his part. What do you mean by that? A lack of honor for God assumes dishonor on his part. Lord spoke that to me very, very early this morning, and I was like, Lord, I'm not sure I even understand that, but I wrote it down or typed it in. A lack of honor for God assumes dishonor on his part. The more I thought about it, it's, see, this goes back to he honors those who honor him. When God commands this woman to take care of the prophet, and the prophet says, if you make me a cake first... Thus says the word of the Lord God, you and and your son, I'm just paraphrasing here, going to have enough to eat and then some. Notice now the the pattern of this. God is saying, if you do this for me, then I will do something even greater for you. (laughs) If you make me... Because remember, receive the prophet, right? You receive God, you receive Jesus, amen. If you make me a cake first, then your jar of oil and, and barrel of meal will continue to produce cakes until this famine is over. To say no to that, why would she say no to that? To say no to that would would be because she didn't trust that if she gave the cake first, that God would honor His word. Do you see this? There's God said, "Look, make me a cake first, and you'll eat for the rest of this famine." Whoo! What if I make you a cake first, and the prophet? Go somewhere and takes a nap and then me and my boy starve to death. Do I want one cake in the hand or a hundred potential cakes in the bush? Bird in hand, two in the bush, right? You see. So to refuse the opportunity is to assume dishonor on God's part. Because only a dishonorable man would say, make me a cake first, and then it'll never run dry. Am I losing you on this? A lack of honor for God assumes dishonor on his part. To doubt God is to believe he will not honor his word. To doubt him is to accuse him of being dishonorable. You see this? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the things that you're showing us this morning. And Lord, every person in this room, whether we realize it or not, has an opportunity before them right now. An opportunity before them right now. Different for different people because, Lord, we're all at different places in our growth and development. But every person in this room has an opportunity before them right now. Lord, to take a step of faith, to put their trust in you, to honor you in a greater way. An opportunity, Lord, that we can either act upon and trust you or we can continue to doubt and question and drag our feet and miss out on the things that you have for us. Father, we ask you to forgive us for assuming dishonor on your part You are an honorable God. You honor your word. Lord, every promise that you've ever made to us, Lord, you make good on. Lord, I thank you that you are teaching us what it really looks like to honor you from these timeless examples from so many, many, many years ago. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me this morning. And if you've not yet...